Our second lesson is a continuation of last week's uh, story from Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to add a verse uh, at the beginning and the end. Um, so, but if you want to follow along, it's uh, on page 14 of the Old Testament section of your pew Bible. Hear the word of God. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak to my Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And Abraham spoke again. Suppose forty are found there. God answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then Abraham said, Oh, do not let my Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And the Lord answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, Let me take it upon myself to speak to my Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And the Lord answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, Oh, do not let my Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. And the Lord answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of God given for the people of God. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, settle our very busy minds and open our hearts. Wherever it is that we sit when we hear this sermon, may your word speak to each of us 
Tell us what we need to hear in this time and in this place. And as always, I pray that my words would be your words. Amen. So our Genesis story today does pick up where we left off last week. I'll just recap a bit. Abraham and Sarah had just royally entertained three strangers who came wandering into their camp. No ordinary strangers, though. By the end of the story last week, we knew that this was God come calling. And God came with a baby announcement. Within the next year, dear old, and I mean 90-year-old to be exact, Sarah would have a baby. It was a reiteration of a promise that had originally been made to Abraham over 25 years before. So now the meal has been finished, the dishes tidied and put away, and God and Abraham have gone on a little stroll to the crest of the hill overlooking the plains below. Plains where those famous towns of Sodom and Gomorrah were located. Now, Lest our minds get distracted by that little fact and we head off on some stinking thinking, let's first clear up the Sodom and Gomorrah thing. We won't hear, or we didn't hear, thankfully, that part of the story today, but please, please, please know, you probably already know this, but the sins and transgressions of those towns had nothing to do with sex or sexual activity. Now, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were actually more reprehensible to our loving God We learn in the book of Ezekiel that the people of these towns were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty, and they are shown to act in violence toward travelers. Now, remember from last week that hospitality in the ancient world was literally a matter of life and death for those on the road. So while Abraham extended radical hospitality to the three visitors last week, the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah were in outright danger to those on the road. And all this made God rather angry. And God has heard about this terrible behavior. The cries of the poor and the needy, the assaulted traveler, those on the fringes of the community, those cries have been heard by the Almighty. And God decides it's time to check it all out, see if what has been said about these towns is true. So, here stand God and Abraham overlooking the towns, God on an investigative journey to find out what's really going on down there. Abraham standing by and wondering if this God is really all that has been promised to him. Or is this God just like all the others? Because remember, at this time, Abraham's neighbors were multi-theistic, meaning they worshipped many gods. And those other gods were often angry, demanding, unreasonable, at least from a human perspective. So Abraham needs to find out what kind of God has he decided to trust and follow? What is the character of this God that has been pursuing him for the last 25 years? He thinks he knows, and it would not be wiping out the innocent with the guilty. He finds it inconceivable that God would destroy the entire towns if there were any good and just people living there. How in the world, Abraham wonders, could God so blithely destroy the good with the bad? And so he ventures nearer to God. I love that. Comes nearer to God and asks his simple question. Um, Let's just say there are like 50 good folks down there. You wouldn't lose them because of the others, 
Would you? Now, he's very careful here. He compliments God. That would be so far off from who I know you to be. That would be out of character for you, I think, I hope. And then he throws in the clincher, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Again, he's appealing to God's character. We might say he's buttering God up, schmoozing God, playing to God's strengths. And of course, God says, no, if I find 50 good folks, the town is spared. And then Abraham needs to take it farther. And it becomes an auction in reverse, if you will. Well, if not 50, how about 45? Not 45 either, huh? Well, how about 40 or 30 or 20? And dare I ask just once more, one more teensy-weensy question. I promise that's it. What if the number is as low as 10? And of course, God continues to assure Abraham that as long as even just 10 decent citizens are found, the towns will be spared, wicked and good alike. I love this exchange, if you can't tell, for so many reasons. First of all, I can hear myself as a child bargaining like this with my parents. I love the patience of God allowing question after question to flow, something that my parents didn't usually do. I love the familiarity this exchange shows us between God and Abraham. You don't speak to just anyone with this back and forth, deep, probing questioning. Obviously, God and Abraham have some sort of relationship that allows Abraham to be so bold and persistent without fear of being smited himself. Now, Abraham is able to admit his status as creature, I who am but dust and ashes, as if to say, I know I have no given right to question you this way, God. But his boldness for me reflects this deep and mature relationship between the two, a relationship that allows him to have the nerve, the confidence, to tell God that God may not be being true to God's good character. You know, you can't talk to just any God that way. But this exchange also tells us more about Abraham's character. Last week, we saw his willingness to go above and beyond what was expected to host travelers on the road. We saw in Abraham the hospitality so important to God, quite opposite of the behavior of Sodom and Gomorrah that will be the end of them. This week, we find Abraham defending the innocent who just might be lurking within the walls of those wicked cities. He goes to bat for the underdog, risking his own good standing with the judge of all the earth, as he has called God. And it's more than that. Abraham is also willing to save the guilty, people he has no affinity for, in order to save the innocent. In short, Abraham is modeling grace along the lines of God's kind of grace. Now, sometimes you hear people say that this story is an example of God changing God's mind. And I'm not so sure I see that here. God goes down to the plains to see if what has been told is true. Does God plan to wipe both towns off the face of Google Maps no matter what is found? I don't think we know that from the beginning of the story. Rather, I think the exchange between God and Abraham is told to us so that we get better glimpses into the character of both of them. 
God never shames Abraham for his questions. Abraham never relents. God is patient and listening and answering. Abraham is modest in his station, but also tenacious. Both care deeply about people. So when I put last week and this week together, it begins to give me some shape of what our time together might look like. Last week, we spoke about clinging to God's promises despite setbacks or delays that we might endure in life. We were also shown a level of radical hospitality that can be a model for us as we welcome folks into the life of the church. This week, we hear that we should be in conversation with God. As we journey together towards the next thing God has in mind, we need to ask questions. If we don't ask God, how will we ever know what the dream might be? Abraham had to ask God to be sure he understood who God really was and what God's plans looked like. And when Abraham heard God commit to saving the wicked for the sake of the good, well, you can be sure that that brought comfort to Abraham as well as a deeper understanding of why he should continue to trust and follow this God just as we should. Now, our psalm today reiterates all this need for conversation with God. I think this is a beautifully written hymn And it comes after the people have returned from their time of exile in Babylon. That's a really complicated piece of their history. And for this morning, what we just need to know is that they are downtrodden and weary. Life has been difficult. The challenges have stretched on and on and on. The people have been hammered with losses and disappointments. And word on the street is that God has abandoned them. It's a discouraging time, to say the least. But, says the psalmist, it wasn't always like this. There was a time when life was grand, when God's love shone on us and was poured liberally over the land. And if it was that way once, well, then it can be that way again. Restore us, the people sing. Show us your steadfast love. You did it once. You can do it again. We know and trust you, God. Now, the psalm actually begins in conversation with God, reminding the people and God of all God has done for them in the past. You, God, were favorable to us, restored Jacob's fortunes, forgave the people, pardoned them. You, God, did all of this. And then the psalm moves into questioning God. Will you always be angry? Won't you revive and restore us? Will you grant us your salvation, shower us with your steadfast love? Does it sound like anybody we just heard in the Genesis story? But then a solitary voice, the soloist, sings, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. And what does God speak? Peace, salvation, abundance. In some of the most beautiful poetry, we hear that faith and love will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss. Faithfulness will sprout from the land and righteousness rain down from heaven. It is a picture of hope for the people. It gives them an anchor to steady them. It provides the footholds they need to remember who they are as God's people and who God is. The people hear that they can trust God to be God, 
to keep God's promises, and remember, those promises are always for life. So, what does all this mean for us at Western Springs in 2022? Well, last week we talked a little bit about discerning what are God's dreams for this place, what might be in your future. Today's readings tell us that we need to be in conversation, real, authentic, deep conversation with God in order to hear what God has to say to us. It sounds straightforward, but of course, we all know God seems to speak a little more subtly to us than to Abraham. Or does God? Maybe the psalmist has some instructions for us. The people will hear God's word, the psalmist says, when they turn their hearts to God. So part of what we will need to do together is turn our hearts to God to listen, to question God together, to keep at it until we're clear on what we think we're hearing. Well, Leslie, that just sounds wonderful. Exactly how do we do that, you might be thinking. God doesn't usually show up at the back door and walk around the neighborhood with us like Abraham got to do. Well, first, we'll work together to be honest and authentic in our questions for God. Abraham shows us that no question is off limits, that God will deal patiently with all of our questions as long as we are real. And we can be bold, and we must be unafraid in our questions. And then we will turn our hearts to God and listen. Turning our hearts to God is simple to describe, but it is harder to practice in the world in which we live. It entails quiet, dedicated time for God alone. It means prayer, basically, in one form or another. Perhaps you like to walk the labyrinth out here, or maybe your prayer comes best on a walk or run in nature. Maybe you are a meditator, music, listening to, performing. There are all sorts of ways to settle our minds, I find that it's not that so much as the challenge of finding and making the time. Our culture is noisy, constantly vying for our attention. The phones sit by our sides, ready to flash all sorts of notifications, opportunities of all kinds knock at our doors daily. And all of that makes turning our hearts towards God just a bit more difficult. But we can figure it out. We will also turn our hearts together collectively. Time will be made for corporate prayer in worship, at special gatherings, perhaps even some prayer teams. The goal will be for the community to pray together, to turn our collective hearts towards God to hear God's dreams. How will we hear? What will we hear? I don't know what we'll hear right now, but I have found it life-filling to be in community with others as God's desires come through us. God uses all of us, shares wisdom and creativity with all of us. But often, those desires of God's, that wisdom, needs a gathered space of other faithful hearts to find expression. So what this means is that the more of us that participate over these next coming months in whatever opportunities we have, the better we will have to hear God's whispers to us. The more of us who pray together, share together, and question together, the clearer God's answers will come. When we can find the ways to turn our hearts to God, we will be astounded by what we can hear. 
When we are willing to boldly ask God some of the hard questions, we can be assured God will hear us and engage with us one way or another. And this is what I think we will do together over the coming months at Western Springs as you prepare for your next chapter. I envision retreat-type gatherings to wrestle with the questions, maybe social events to help us know each other well enough so we are free to ask those bold, hard questions, and, of course, prayer, lots and lots and lots of prayer. Now, conversations of any kind that are important can be tricky. Conversations with God might be intimidating. But we remember Abraham and his boldness. We remember the psalmist and his assurances to his community. And with the confidence of both, we too will enter into conversations with God over these next coming months. Most of all, what we will do is we will trust God's character. We will have faith like the psalmist that God is always with us, even if the word on the street is otherwise. We will listen for God's still whisper of dreams for this place and the future of Western Springs. And like Abraham, we will cling to God's eternal promises for life. Amen. <laughs>